Welcome to the Faith Dialogue Podcast with your host, Pastor Ken Baer. Are you ready to swim in the deep end of the Bible pool or climb to the top of Faith Mountain? If so, open the eyes that see, those ears that hear, and a heart that is receptive. Get your cup of coffee and your Bible as we begin. So we are in the book of Galatians. Welcome to our 11 o'clock service. We've been doing this now since May, traveling through the scriptures. And and I've been trying not to give you a complete summary of everything I've said. I had a pastor friend that was kind of a mentor, and he said, try to say things once. It helps people listen. So you say it once rather than saying it over and over again. But uh, like the Apostle Paul, I can't help myself sometimes. Uh, but my message today is interesting. I think you'll find it interesting. It's from Galatians chapter seven, uh, chapter five. I'm sorry, verses seven through fifteen. Has an unusual title, but it's from the Scriptures, and the title is "Don't Bite." Don't bite. And you'll see exactly how that, that fits in with our message today. You know, Paul has continued to build on this theme of the sufficiency of Christ. That's, an, that's something we introduced a few weeks ago. But that's what it means. When legalists come in and they tell you that you need to do something besides understand who Jesus is, they're saying that Christ is insufficient. See, it's nice that you believe in Jesus, that you believe in his death on the cross, his, his sufficiency to basically uh, pay for your sin, but you still need to do something else. You need to be circumcised. You need to follow the law. Now, last week, we started getting into some practical approaches of this. We talked about liberty and how not to misuse our liberty. And I like that it because it's, it's very practical. We don't have too many Judaizers in our congregations anymore. There's not too many people telling us to be circumcised or to go to the temple. There is no temple anymore. We don't have to worry about the dietary laws. But we know that legalism still comes into the church. And because of that, this is a, this is a message that I think we, we need to hear. We need to hear it very often. And, and again, like I said, these, these, the Galatians, Paul was giving them some very practical advice, some practical advice, especially when he talked about not misusing our, our freedom. Our, our freedom in Christ. And you'll see again today that there's some very practical reasons that Paul, Paul has. So we're going to start in Galatians chapter 5, beginning in verse 7. It's in your bulletin. It's also on the screen. Paul says, You ran well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion does not come from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in you, in the Lord, that you shall have no other mind. But he who troubles you shall bear his judgment, whoever he is. And I, brethren, if I still preach circumcision, why do I still suffer persecution? Uh, then the offense of the cross has ceased. I, I could wish that those who trouble you could even cut themselves off. For your brethren have been called to liberty. Only do not use your liberty as an opportunity for the flesh. But through love, serve one another. For all the laws fulfilled in one word, even this, you shall love the, your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, there's a sermon title, if you bite and devour one another, beware lest you are consumed by one another. 
So again, these are the words of Paul in Galatians. And again, he's, he's giving us some practical advice, and you'll see how, how practical this advice is. You know, I remember when I started putting this sermon together, I remember going back about 35 years ago, my daughter, who's now in her 40s, was getting ready to go to kindergarten. And at the, and at the time, I was doing a lot of traveling, and I liked to read. And one of the books I picked up, you might have read it as well, uh, was uh, Robert Fulgham's book. He said, he wrote, All I Ever Needed to Know I Learned in Kindergarten. Do you remember that book? It was a good book. It was kind of fun. It was kind of tongue-in-cheek. Uh, but I read it, and I was, I was laughing through it because I could see how true some of these words are. So I'm going to give you a list of the 10 top things that Robert Fulgham said that he learned in kindergarten, which is really all the things he really ever needed to learn. The first was share everything. I like that. Share everything. Second was play fair. Uh, the third one, very appropriate, especially for kindergartners, is don't hit <laughs> don't, don't hit other, other people. <laughs> Number four, put, put things back where you found them. That's something my wife continues to tell me on a regular basis. Put things back where you found them. Number five is, 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 good, is good for everybody. It's clean up your own mess. Clean up your own mess. Don't you wish people would do that? Uh, number six, don't take things that aren't yours, okay? They don't belong to you. Where'd you get that? It's not yours. Put it back. And number seven, say you're sorry when you hurt somebody. That's really nice. Just say you're sorry when you hurt somebody. Number eight, I'm learning how to do this. You probably are better than I am at it. It's take a nap in the afternoon. <laughs> Just take a nap in the afternoon. Number nine, another thing that my wife tells me to do is flush, flush. <laughs> and, 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 number, and number 10, our sermon for today, don't bite. Don't bite. You know, we could have started off with number 10, right? I mean, we could have done the top 10 countdown backwards and started off with don't bite. Um, but I think, but I think this, this book, along with some other experiences, calls into, calls into mind that sometimes we read things that are actually uh, quite practical. Now, actually, when I thought of this sermon title, I wasn't thinking so much of Robert Fulgham's book. I remembered that later. But, I, but, I, but I've told you about our puppy, right? Piper. Piper's now two years old. And, and we've had many dogs. We haven't had many puppies lately, okay? And when we got this puppy, we forgot that one of the things puppies do is they bite, right? They're like little baby humans. Everything that they have goes into their mouth, right? And, and especially my wife, not so much me, but she was covered with little, little sores and stuff like little scratches on her hands when the puppy was young. Now, what we did wisely, okay, we did a number of things, but one of the wisest things we did is we brought the puppy to day camp. Over at Disney, they have a thing called Best Friends, and they have day camp there for dogs. So we brought the, the dog over to day camp, and the dog spent six or seven hours a day on Mondays and Thursdays in day camp with older dogs. And these older dogs disciplined the younger dogs. So within a few, a few months, the dog didn't bite anymore. And I can tell you that she's kind of graduated. In fact, she graduated from being a small dog to a, to a big dog. So now she's one of the big dogs disciplining the, the smaller dogs. Uh, but, but this is, again, like Robert Fogum's book. I'm sure the dogs learn these things too, right? Play fair, don't hit, don't take, char don't take things that aren't yours. Uh, and then, of course, the dogs love this, take a nap. Take a nap. So this is a practical book. And I want to tell you that the, the Bible is a very practical book. In fact, the Bible often talks about relationships. It isn't just a theology book. It's a, it's a relationship book. And we see this going all the way back to the book of Genesis. 
In the book of Genesis, uh, we saw that conflict came in, right? Uh, we know that, that Genesis started off well, right? God's created everything, right? He, divide, he created the light. He divided the light from the darkness. He divided the land from the seas. He brought forth the grass and the trees, the stars and the skies, uh, fish, all the living creatures. Finally, he, he came up with man and woman, right? And that's Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2. But then in chapter 3, conflict arises. And this conflict actually is the source and the pattern of almost all conflict we have even to this day. So let me show you Genesis chapter 3 verses 1 through 5. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, has God indeed said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of, of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it nor touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that in the day you eat of, the, you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good from evil. You know, the Bible says that the serpent was cunning. And it's this type of cunning that comes into conflict all the time. People are telling you, you may have heard something, you may believe something, but let me tell you the way it really is, right? So we always have this. The Bible has been telling this since the Garden of Eden, and we see this on a daily basis. We see struggles, man against man, woman against woman, man against nature, right? We see this all the time. There is conflict. But the Bible gives us very uh, practical advice on how to deal with conflict. And that's the issue, is some people, uh, some people refuse to deal with conflict, but if you refuse to deal with conflict, you're just a people pleaser. That's all you are. Sometimes you need to deal with the conflict itself. All of us, all of us have either noisy neighbors or nosy neighbors, right? You have either noisy neighbors or nosy neighbors. They are. Carol and I have traveled and lived all over the world. Uh, well, not over. We lived, you know, I spent some time in Europe. We spent some time in, in Mexico. But we've lived and we've moved a number of different times. It doesn't matter where we move. We're always going to find either noisy neighbors or nosy neighbors, right? Always getting into your, into your business. And Paul mentions this actually from the, at the beginning. Uh, Paul said that there's going to be conflict and he wants you to be able to, uh, to live a life of, of liberty and don't give in to what people are, are telling you. From the fall of Adam to the return of Christ, we live in an evil world. That's what the book of Jude says. Uh, we live in an evil world. Now, by the, Paul says that we are, we are rescued by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And because of that, the Bible wants us to make wise choices. Uh, some people take a look at the Bible, the B-I-B-L-E, and it's an acronym for Basic Instructions Before Leaving Earth. It's not just about theology. It's about how we get along with other people. And sometimes we just pray. Sometimes you just pray that you can get along with, with other people. There's a, there's a thing called a serenity prayer. Some of you may have even put it on your keychains or had it in your kitchens. I've seen it a number of different places. It's not scripture, but it's a, it's a wonderful prayer. And this is what it says. It says, God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage, get that, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. You see, the serenity prayer tells you there are certain things that you need to change. 
You can't just give in to whatever anybody says. You have to challenge them sometimes. If you don't challenge them, you become exactly who they want you to be rather than who God wants you to be. Now, one of the places we would hope that we would find serenity is within the church, right? However, some of you are laughing because if you've been in a church any period of time, now our church this here, this is completely different, but those other churches, if you've been in them for any amount of time at all, or you served as a deacon or an elder or a committee head and stuff like that, you're going to have conflict. You're going to have conflict. But Jesus says, I want you to love one another. I want you to love one another. In fact, Jesus said, that's how you're going to be known. That's your hallmark is that you love one another. Right from the very beginning, though, the church was full of conflict. And this is exactly what Paul's talking about. He says, you ran well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion does not come from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord, that is, that you will have no other mind, but he who troubles you shall bear his judgment, whoever he is. Paul says, who hindered you from obeying the truth? You know, Paul knew that there was going to be false teaching. He knew this when he started teaching. He knew that conflict would come in, okay? Just as the serpent was more cunning, people would be coming into his congregation and telling them half-truths or no-truths. Now, remember, a half-truth is still a whole lie, right? A half-truth is still a whole lie. And this is what happens is that, and, and Paul says, this persuasion does not come from him who called you. It, it's Jesus Christ that called them. This, this persuasion, this, this change, this conflict, it's not coming from Jesus, it's coming from others. And Paul is still trying to overcome this conflict, and we call this conflict legalism. We see it in all different kinds of ways. Now, Paul mentions leaven. Now, leaven often is mentioned in the Bible. It's mentioned a dozen different times in both the Old Testament and New Testament, and it typically refers to sin refers to sin. Now, leaven is yeast, okay? Now, what the women at the time of Jesus would do is rather than having a little bit of yeast in their cupboard, they would have leaven. And what they would do is leaven is yeast that's already worked its way into the dough. And you put it into the dough, and after a while, the entire loaf is all full of leaven. And as they bake the bread, they would take a little piece of that dough off, and they put it in the cupboard because that, that yeast would be in that, in that leaven. That leaven would be in that bread. And they'd hang on to it. And Jesus says that it's going to leaven the whole lump. This is what Paul is saying. He said, if you let this legalism creep in and you don't confront it, it's going to permeate the whole church. And we'll find that all of our friends, all of our neighbors will start believing the corrupting influence of, of legalism. And what this does is it diminishes the finished work of Jesus. Remember last week, I surprised some of you because I said what they're doing is basically saying that Jesus was insufficient. That you need Jesus plus something else. But remember I told you last week that Jesus plus nobody is still a majority. You don't need anything besides Jesus. Uh, Paul would say this. He says, you need to, uh, to address this. Don't you understand that you started off so well, but now you're, you're failing? Uh, Jude, uh, third, Jude 3 says, contend for the faith once delivered to the saints. See, that's our charge. There are some times we need to contend for the faith. Sometimes we need to stand up to be strong, to square ourselves off and say, no, that's not what the Bible says. I don't need to do that, okay? I have liberty in, in Jesus. Now, there are people that avoid conflict at all costs. You probably know some of them. Maybe some of you tend to be that way. And I can understand. I mean, it's nice to have people want to like you. 
But conflict avoidance at all costs is a type of people-pleasing behavior that typically arises with a deep-rooted fear of upsetting anybody. You can't be afraid sometimes of what people think of you. If you're afraid of what people think of you, I mean, think about all the things that you have that you never would have had except that somebody stood up and, and, and stood up for the truth. Because of that, they contended for their faith. There's people that died for this nation to give you the freedom that you have because they were, they were willing to stand up. They were willing to, to contend. Paul says, no other mind. Uh, this is the mind of Christ. Again, that Christ is, is sufficient. Um, it requires sometimes that we bring charges. We, we bring that offense to that person. We, we, they understand what it is. Now, are there examples in the Old Testament as well as the New Testament of, of people that contended for the faith? Well, of course. We've been going through in our Bible study a number of the Old Testament prophets. And that's what the prophets did. The prophets tried to turn the heart of the people back to God. They basically said, you need to repent. You need to change your ways. The greatest of the Old Testament prophets is actually found in the New Testament. The greatest of the Old Testament prophets was John the Baptist. He was the forerunner that came in the spirit of Elijah to basically turn people's hearts towards the coming of the Messiah. And he was, a, he was a rough man. I mean, he really was. He, he contended with people. He called people to repent, which is to basically change their ideas about who they are and how they act. And there was a time when the Pharisees were coming to him, okay? And he was no fan of the Pharisees. And this is what he says. Uh, John the Baptist, he's, but when he saw many of the Pharisees and the Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, he said to them, you brood of vipers, the viper's a snake, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath, produce fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not think you can say to yourself, we have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these very stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees, for every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. You see, John the Baptist didn't avoid conflict. He was willing to address conflict, even if it cost him his head, and it ultimately did. Um, now, John the Baptist, however, was a very humble man. He was humble. He didn't use conflict in order to puff himself up. He addressed the source of the conflict and he went right to the root of it. Uh, there was a time when the disciples came to John the Baptist and see, Jesus was his cousin. Jesus was his younger cousin by about nine months and, and Jesus was, was increasing. Jesus was getting lots of people and the disciples said, hey, you know, Jesus is actually attracting more people now than you are. And John the Baptist said, he must increase and I will decrease. See, that's the spirit of humility. When we, when we contend with others, we don't do this for our puffing ourselves up to enlarge ourselves. We do it to get to the root of the problem and try to have people repent. Jesus says, uh, pay attention. If your brother sins, rebuke him. You see, Jesus is telling us that if somebody sins, you need to rebuke them. And if he repents, then forgive them. You know, Jesus knew there would be conflict in the church. And again, for those of you that have been in church very long, and no matter what role you've served, you've seen conflict. Now, in Matthew chapter 18, there's the Matthew principle. Some of you may know the principle. It's a three-step process that churches can go through to deal with conflict. I'll take you through it. The Bible says this. It says, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, you have gained your brother. See, that's step one. You go to the person individually. 
Now, step two is if he will not hear, take one or two more that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word will be established. So if the person doesn't repent and he's doing something wrong or she's doing something wrong, then you bring a couple of people. So you have two or three people now. See if they'll repent. And it says, and if he refuses to hear them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses even to hear the church, let him be to you like a heathen and a tax collector. See, this goes back almost to the serenity prayer, right? Some things you just can't change. If you can't change it, you just got to leave it alone. Let God do what God's going to do and hope that the person comes back at some time in the future. But, there's, but the things you can change, you need to change. This is called the Matthew Principle. It's a way that churches, in a healthy manner, deal with conflict. They, they address the evil. So let's finish up and see what the Apostle Paul has to say again about our liberty. Paul says, For you, brothers, have been called to liberty. Only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. See, that's a wonderful way for us to use our liberty to be able to serve other people. Now, the point is, quite frankly, that if you talk to people outside the church and you talked about Christians, one of the things they probably won't mention is your liberty or how much you love one another, isn't it? Is, is that amazing? I mean, often I've talked with people about, about Jesus. I'll share Jesus with them. I'll tell them how I've changed and, and how God has impacted my life. And, they, and they'll say something like this. It's, well, that's good for you, but I don't think I could do all the things you have to do. You see, they, they, for some reason, they feel that as a Christian, there's things that I, I need to do that actually what Jesus said is untrue. Jesus says, my burden is light. My yoke is easy. Jesus didn't take the legalism of the Old Testament and replace it with another type of legalism. One yoke for another look. Jesus gave us freedom. But so often, if we don't use our liberty properly, people take a look at Christianity as nothing more than a bunch of new rules. New rules. Now, remember that it was Paul was not just writing, however, to people that call themselves Christians. People that just happen to be in church. You know, we have a small church here, so I don't have to worry about any of you. But when I'm at a big church, our last church had thousands of people. And I'd, if you're up in the pulpit and you're talking to 3,500, 4,000 people, you know that a lot of times there's people within the pews, people that are sitting in front of you that need still to repent. They need to come to Christ. They're a, church, they're a church for all different kinds of reasons, and we're glad they're there. Maybe their wife dragged them or their husband dragged them. Maybe they're in church because of the children's ministry. They don't need God, but they think it's good for their kids. So there's people within the church that need to repent, and those aren't the people that have liberty. There's no liberty when you haven't repented yet. But Paul doesn't say that. Paul is writing this book of Galatians. He says, in, in Galatians chapter 3, verse 26, he says, uh, but I'm writing to those who are sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. He goes to the next verse, he says, those who were baptized into Christ, who have put on Christ. Remember we talked about that the idea that you've, you've changed. You're no longer that old person. You're a new person, a new creation in Christ. And it's those people that have liberty. And those people who that liberty are using, supposed to use the liberty in order to serve others. That's our, that's our call. So let's see what Paul is saying in the last two verses. Paul says, For the, all of the laws fulfilled in one word, even in this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, there's that word again, if you bite and devour one another, beware lest you be consumed by one another. So 
we've mentioned this before, that the Ten Commandments, the scholars believe they're on two tablets, right? That's what we see Charlton Heston coming down with the two tablets, right? Two tablets. And the, on the one tablet are our responsibilities to God. The first four commandments, you know, uh, love the Lord your God, have no other idols, have no other gods before me, um, don't profane the name of the God, keep holy the Sabbath day. That's the first four commandments. But then on the other is what this is referring to, to love one another as yourself. And it all has to do with relationships and how we contend with our noisy and our nosy neighbor, right? The, the commandments say, honor your father and mother. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. Don't lie and don't covet. Sounds a lot like Robert Fulgham's book, right? I mean, it does. It's, this, these, are, these are practical advice on how to get along with each other. This is how we use our liberty. We love one another. This is what Paul is saying. He's saying all of it's consumed in this one word, love one another. If we love one another, we fulfill all of the law. In fact, it's almost like Paul is saying this, you legalists, listen to me. If you want a law, this is what you need. Love one another. Love one another as you love yourself. That's, that's the law. You want to follow the law? Follow it. That's what you need to do. You know, Paul is, is ending his comments and he says that if we don't love one another, we may end up biting and devouring one another, right? So when I started thinking about this, I think Paul was painting a picture of kind of imagine a pack of wild animals, wolves or wild dogs or whatever, and you throw some meat into the middle of it, right? And they're so anxious to devour the meat that what do they do? They start biting each other. They start biting each other. They're so excited about devouring the meat that they start biting and attacking each other. And that's the picture that Paul is painting. Not so much a pack of wolves, but a bunch of Christians, right? A bunch of church people that are so anxious to, to correct or contend or do something or, or argue that what they do is they end up hurting each other. Uh, all of a sudden, everybody's taking a side, and if you're not for me, then you're against me. Paul is saying, uh, don't bite one another. But I can tell you there, there's, there's good news. Like I told you, our, our, our dog, Piper, no longer has this issue. Uh, she, she, she doesn't bite each other. I don't have to worry about it. I can take a toy away from her. I can, I can give her food. I can take food away from her. Uh, she, she doesn't bite. Now, fortunately, she doesn't have a lot of teeth either. That's one of the things that Sholo Squeenleys don't have. They don't have a lot of teeth. Her tongue kind of hangs out to the side because she doesn't have the teeth to hold it in. But she doesn't bite. She's learned not to bite, okay? And I can tell you truthfully, and I want to hear a big amen for this as well, I no longer bite either, okay? <laughs> See, and the reason is, is I paid attention in kindergarten. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we want to thank you, Lord. You've been listening to Faith Dialogue with Pastor Ken Baer, recorded live at Celebrate Seniors, a ministry of Faith Dialogue. You can listen to or watch all of the recordings at Faith Dialogue by going to www.faithdialogue.org.